Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. William Dickerson is the director, writer, producer of Detour, The Mirror, and Don't Look Back. His latest book, Detour, Hollywood, How to Direct a Micro-Budget Film, or any film for that matter, is available now. His first book, No Alternative, was declared a sympathetic coming-of-age story deeply embedded in 90s music by Kirkus Reviews. And he's just completed an Indigo crowdfunding campaign for funding his feature of his book. Carol, I understand William is fiscally sponsored by From the Heart and produced his Indiegogo crowdfunding through you. Yes, he did, Claire. Thank you so much for coming, William. We appreciate having you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I want to start right away with something that I... It's new. It's called Proof of Concept. You wrote a wonderful article in Movie Maker Magazine saying a script is no longer enough and why a first-time future director needs a proof of concept. So can you elaborate? Uh, Yes, I can. Uh, You're right. I mean, nowadays a script isn't enough, especially if you're a first-time feature filmmaker. Um, you know, I, I went to AFI uh, and I graduated with with an MFA, and I d- had directed a lot of short films. And um, you know, I, I joke that I had made enough short films to equal the length of several features, but still, I had a hard time getting that first feature job. And you know, at that time, investors started to get a little bit more mindful about uh, monetary risk uh, and just you know saying yes to a project without enough quote unquote proof. So I. I, I first got um, posed this question, hey, William, can you go out and shoot a scene from your movie to, to, to show us that this can be a compelling watch? Because Detour is about one man in a, in a car trying to escape a mudslide, so you might think it could be, could be boring, potentially. Right? So I had to prove to these producers that I could make it compelling and that the, the actor had emotional range. Um, and just, you know, I guess there was a zeitgeist in the air at that time. Like, I did this, and then just the idea of the proof of concept became more and more common uh, with producers around town. So, so now, if you want to get your first feature off the ground, it, it, it's de rigueur to actually go out, spend your own money, shoot a scene, and use that to accompany the script when you approach producers now. Well, what would you say is a budget for something like that? And, and what type of scene would you choose? That's a very good question. Um, well, for the proof of concept that I did for, for Detour, it only cost me a couple hundred bucks. The one I did for an alternative was a bit more expensive because I needed extras and an actual location. Uh, so that cost me about $1,500. Um, so you don't, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Uh, it's a little bit of money, but I consider it an investment in your project. And you want to choose a scene that really exemplifies the tone of your film. So if a producer reads the script and watches the scene, or even if they don't read the script, they can look at the scene and be like, oh, oh, I get it. I get the feeling of it. I can, I can imagine what the other scenes will look like and feel like. I get the tone uh, and feel of the film. I, you also want to have a, 
an emotional moment uh, of one of the main characters in, in the scene. Because then you'll be able to really convey, oh, okay, this hits, this hits some emotional chords that will connect to, a, to an audience. Because ultimately you want the audience to relate to your, to your characters. So you want to focus on uh, the emotions of the characters and the tone of your entire film. So you would be building, uh, the scene would start out uh, sort of, uh, this is the way I call it, I, I don't know what the term is for, but usually it starts out and then all of a sudden it, it's as if it's a three-act scene. It, it starts, you get the yes. subject matter, and then it builds, and then it builds, and you, you find yourself holding your breath if it's a good scene. <laughs> and only, yeah. when the scene is over, you go, oh, that was great. Well, yeah, and that's, at the Exactly. And that's at what the you end, want. Yeah, you want that because at the end you're hoping that the viewer will be like, oh, I want to see more. You know, you want to hook them. Um, and sometimes, like with the, the scene for No Alternative, it's not just – it's difficult to just take a scene from the film and shoot it. You're going to have to rework it a little bit, like exactly like you just said. So I took a scene from my script for No Alternative, rewrote it so it did have a, have a, a firm beginning, middle, and end. So, so it, it played as a short film in and of itself. So you do have to, to rework it a little bit. Of course. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you know the documentary filmmakers have been doing this for years. That's pretty much what we do with our trailers. And they use yep. music cues in the beginning, middle, end. It's all cued by music to take you heighten, to heighten your interest and to leave you wanting more. That's what we yep. call a good trailer for docs. So there you are. It makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. And and did this help you get your film funded? Absolutely. Um, it was a big it was a big help uh, because you know not only you, you're not only doing this for producers, but now in the the, the age of social media um, and the fluidity of just putting videos online, you're, you, if you have a good video, people will watch it. People will spend three minutes, three or four minutes uh, to give you, a, give you a chance. And then if they like it, they'll, they'll share it. So I knew I had, um, I had a good opportunity here with, with this film to, to connect on just a, just a pre-production level with these bits of material. So, so, but I knew the proof of concept wasn't enough. Like I, I, had, I did a proof of concept, um, and then I decided that I wanted to go the crowdfunding route, which meant I had to also film an, an interview with myself, uh, which, which I did. And then since I had the proof of concept already, I was able to intercut the bits and pieces of the proof of concept uh, into um, my interview. Uh, and it turned out to be, uh, it got thousands of views. And I think that was really the main, uh, the main reason why I, the, the, the funding campaign was as successful as it was. It was great, and um, I and I have to commend you on your intro and how you handled yourself, because I wrote in my first uh, edition of the Art of Film Funding that people give money to people, and yes. uh, that is the Thank truth. You. It's not the story. It's you. Are you going to handle my money okay? Can I trust you? Yes. And uh, you exactly. certainly made us feel comfortable with you. I really enjoyed your trailer. Uh, Thanks so much, Carol. Yeah, I had no doubt you were going to do a good job. And and I got this feeling, you know, sort of like, um, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be here at the beginning. Uh, I will get to invest in one of his first films and uh, because he'll go on to make more and become well-known. And I can always say I was there at the beginning. Did that happen to you? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it was a it was a long process. I spent a, I spent a long time researching uh, crowdfunding campaigns that were successful because I, I I hadn't really intended to do a crowdfunding campaign um, unless a project unless I was going to do it for a project that was personal to me. Uh, and, and this project very much is. And I knew, you know, I might only have one shot at really doing something successful on this on this platform. So I did I did about six months of research. Um, and while I was doing that, I built my Facebook and Twitter followers and really started to interact and, and plant the seed with them that I was going to start this and just get the conversation um, going, right? And and then at that point, I, I started to uh, – I produced the proof of concept. I did the interview. I got all my video material ready and, um, you know, in preparation to launch the page. And then I spent like another two or three months just making sure the page looked good. Like all the, all the headers and the artwork on the page, it was all like, I, you know, I learned Photoshop and did it all myself. I wanted to make sure it looked as professional as, you know, as possible because you're only as good as your first impression. So if someone, someone watches the video, they link to your page if your video isn't as professional as, I'm sorry, if your page isn't as professional as your video, they might, it, it, it might be an obstacle to them. So you, you don't want to, you don't want to present those, those obstacles. Um, and then, this is so you know, true. William, yeah. I'll tell you, this is what I say that it's like the old uh, advertisements where they say, look here, look here. And yeah. you do, you look there and then they have to close you. So the trailer mm-hmm. is here. I am. Let me tell you what it's all about. <clears throat> but the page is the closer, William. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I made sure, like I looked at a lot of other ones that, that did well. Um, and I kind of, Examine why they did well, and and I I modeled my look after it was kind of an amalgamation of a lot of other looks that I saw, and it, it should also like like a good movie poster, right? It should also evoke the feeling and tone of your film, right? So everything goes into the theme and the feel of your film, uh, and you know I really like like you said, I mean people want to be a part of they want to be in on the ground floor with your movie. So in all my materials, the video and the page, I would make sure. And when I reached out to people personally, I would say, Hey, this is a, this is a grassroots effort. It's, you know, I'm not asking Hollywood for help. I'm asking you for help. You're, you're my Hollywood and I need you. Um, so by bringing them in on that personal, you know, ground floor level, uh, they, like you said, they get more invested in the project and more willing to, to contribute money because they're, they're the ones making this, this happen. Exactly. They are. Well, um, and you're, are you keeping up with them with every six or eight weeks a newsletter about the status of the film? I am, yes. Um, yeah, we recently completed um, We completed the Indiegogo campaign, and now we're on, uh, we're on From the Hearts Network for, for Good. Uh, Excellent. I love that network for good. Yeah, it's terrific. Um, so it's still it's still up, um, and I've been keeping keeping in contact with with all my contributors, and obviously there's a lot of perks and rewards that um, that I've been fulfilling. And uh, yeah, I mean I think it's very good to keep in communication with people because they're 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 your base, right? They're they not only are they your base. And, and listen, they'll be there until you're finished, and it's okay to go back and say I did what I promised. Now I have to do this, and I need X dollars for that, and they'll be there for you. The point is that you don't know, William, how much money and who those people are. You just know that they like your film. 
And yes. one of the filmmakers that I uh, that I work with was telling Mage how dis- discouraged she was. She had she was writing one of her um, emails to her yeah. Kickstarter list, and she said, "I don't know what to tell him because I am behind on the time limit. Yeah, you know, on the time calendar. Yeah. I told them." So I said, why don't you just tell them what Arson Wells always said, uh, that I spend 95% of my time raising money and only 5% <laughs> making the film. And she yeah. did, and William, a guy, one of the guys that she didn't know, called her and said, how much do you need? And he wrote her a check. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, yes, and this is what, what is so important. Those are just names, but those are people, and a lot of them have more money than you have any idea. So um, know that they wouldn't have given you that 50 or 100 or maybe even $300 if they weren't yeah. really interested. And being where I am, getting to watch all the money come in, I will tell you they will come back at least three times and maybe more over a period of time. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's extremely, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very encouraging. Um, but yeah, I mean, you want, you got to connect on a personal level. Um, and you know, I think being honest with people, like, Hey, this is, you know, we don't, we may, we might not have raised the, the, the goal that we wanted, or we need more money for, for post-production. We need your help. It's not, it's not begging you for, for, for money. I mean, it's, it's inviting people to be a part of this special project, but it's up to you as the filmmaker to make, to convey how special it is. Right. I mean, that's really the that's biggest right. job. Right. And for you to recognize that they like you and they support you or they wouldn't have donated. So it's okay to keep telling them when you need more money, you're giving them an opportunity is exactly the way to look at it. Exactly. Well, uh, so in what in, uh, in closing about the crowdfunding campaign, yes. any advice you could give filmmakers on how to uh, make a good campaign? Well, I mean, I think, you know, like I did, you just do your, do your research um, on recent crowdfunding campaigns that, that seem to work. Um, cause things, you know, it's, uh, crowdfunding is relatively new, all things considered, but at the same time, it's been around a while and some people are, you know, especially my, I'm, I, I live and breathe the film business. So I know a lot of my friends have already donated a lot. So maybe they, not that they're sick of it, but they've, they've donated so much that they're not looking at every campaign now, like the way they used to. So I think really, if you're going to do it, you have to be extremely passionate about, what your underlying meaning is for your, for your film. Like, I don't think I did it because it's a, it's uh, my mission, right? It's, it's, it's a work of fiction. Uh, it's, it's entertainment, but at the heart of it is this, this concept of destigmatizing mental illness because the, the main character in the film suffers from uh, undiagnosed borderline personality. And I dealt with that in my own life with my, my sister who suffered from this illness and ultimately uh, died from it. So I, I, for me, it's, it's a mission. And I, I think if you have a cause um, that can relate and connect to people on a personal level, you really then, then do it. Um, and, and, and really just kind of put that at the forefront of your advertising and um, of your campaign uh, to get people on the same page. Because I, I think everybody's looking, you know, if someone sees how passionate you are and that there's a mission and a cause behind it, uh, it becomes infectious. Right. So, you know, I would, I would start there. Thank you. That's excellent. Well, now let's, let's go to your book, No Alternative. This you wrote 
And that's yes. available Amazon, right? Yes, Amazon.com. And that, and you decide to turn your book into a film. So uh, let's explain more about your connection to the story. It's about your sister, or yeah. you wrote a character. Yeah, it's um, it was a novel uh, that I wrote in 2012, uh, and it funny enough, it had always been a movie script, like years before. Um, but 95% of uh, material in Hollywood that gets made is based on pre-existing material, whether it's a novel or a, a, a comic book or a toy or whatever it is. So, so I felt like, okay, well, why not write the pre-existing material and get it out there and, and build an audience? Um, and I felt like I had a lot more to say about it because it was so personal. Uh, but the gist of the story is that it, it takes place in the early 90s um, and revolves around uh, a brother and sister. Um, the, the, the brother uh, wants to... Uh, become the next uh, Nirvana. He wants to, to form a grunge band and take advantage of, of the alternative music trend at the time. And he becomes so obsessed with it that he, it either, it, it blinds him from what's either the um, mental collapse or eruption of musical genius of his little sister, Bridget, uh, who decides to reject that whole trend and become a, a hardcore uh, gangster rapper, which is unlike anything, you know, uh, their, their friends are listening to at the time. And to me, that's more—that's way more punk rock. And it's so unusual that it, for the character, it's it's a way to funnel her her mental illness uh, by taking the persona of someone totally unlike herself, right? And, and this is something that my sister actually did. It's totally based on her. The raps that I use in the, in the novel and the film are her raps, and I always thought it would make a wonderful uh, uh, character. Of course, it sounds like it. So. Um... Now, where else are you raising money? How else do you intend to get, first of all, what's your budget and how else are you going to go after it? Well, our budget right now is uh, around $250,000. So we're looking at um, like a SAG ultra low budget agreement. Uh, And I I want to shoot in Yonkers, New York, where I'm from. It's my hometown. Um, And I feel like, oh, I know I'll be able to, to utilize a lot of resources and goodwill of friends and family there uh, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily get anywhere else in the country. Um, and we're, we're going about raising money not only through crowdfunding. We did the Indiegogo campaign. Now uh, we're, we're still live on uh, Network for Good through From the Heart. And I've been approaching investors. What was great about the crowdfunding campaign is that it raised, not only are you raising money for the film, but you're, you're branding your film. And you're raising awareness that way. And I was able to actually uh, attract investors just from the crowdfunding campaign, right? People got in contact with me. Um, they liked what they saw. Uh, and it kind of served, the whole thing served as a proof of concept for, for other investors. So, so I've been able to raise, um, uh, I don't know, approximately $150,000 uh, from, from outside uh, investors as well. Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's terrific. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, so um, more importantly, I want to move over now uh, to a micro-budget, how to write, yeah. direct, and produce a micro-budget film. I'm amazed that um, you have enough time in your day to write books, turn them into movies, research and do a successful crowdfunding, and then 
you, in the meantime, you've been writing a, a brilliant book on directing micro-budget films. Yeah. So well, let it's... me start. I loved uh, Chapter 3, Avoiding the Trap of Style Over Substance. So tell yeah. us about this. Yeah, that's a big that's a big one. Um, you know, I, I also teach filmmaking, and one of the big things I, I try to instill in my students um, is is that very thing, avoiding the, the trap of style over substance. Because I, I think when you're a young filmmaker, you think, well, I love the films of Martin Scorsese, or I love the films of Quentin Tarantino, so I want to make a movie like like them, right? Or you know, I stylistically, I want this to have a lot of dolly shots and everything to be moving. But to me, that's the complete opposite approach. I I try to teach my students to to erase the word style from their vocabulary, really, because I think it does, does too much damage. Um, what, the, the right way to make a movie is to realize what is your story and what's the major theme in your story. Um, and once you figure out that theme, then you can figure out what kind of directorial techniques um, you should be using to tell your story. You shouldn't start with the techniques first. I want it to look like this. Well, it, it doesn't really mean anything if, if you don't know what your story is about, right? Um, and a good example of this is Paul, that I use in my book is Paul Thomas Anderson, who if you, like look, if you look at Boogie Nights and you look at Punch Drunk Love and then you look at The Master and you hadn't seen any of the films, you would, you would be sure that those were made by three different directors. Stylistically, they're completely different. Uh, but mm-hmm. the one thing that's the same is the theme. I mean, he, he's obsessed with this idea of order amidst chaos. His characters it, uh, exist in a chaotic world and they're trying to find order. Um, so essentially he's making the same movie over and over again thematically, but he's using different styles. And the reason he's using different styles is because each story is different. And for each story, uh, he picked out a specific style that was best for that unique story. So I think it's doing yourself a disservice by thinking about the look of a movie before you think about what the movie is really about. Absolutely. That's brilliant. That's very good. Now, how about Chapter 4, Financing and Pre-Production, Getting Your Film uh, Detour Off the Ground. Yes. So tell us about oh, yeah. that. Well, it's, it's interesting because the book is kind of um, structured in the way that the first half of it is my approach to directing. It's kind of a crash course. If you don't know too much about directing, it's a crash course on how to direct. And then the second half of the book is kind of a – a blow-by-blow uh, blow account of the making of Detour, right, through, through which I learned an incredibly great deal about, uh, about making movies. So I, st- I do a step-by-step process of pre-production, of production, post-production, uh, and then distribution of, of Detour. Uh, the pre-production on how to get it started really deals with b- keeping in mind budget when you write a script. When I, when I went to AFI, uh, and when most people went to film school 10 years ago, um, you know, we, we were always told, never think about budget when you write a script, because that, that limits your creativity. But now we're living in a world where you absolutely have to, because independent films that used to be financed 15, 10, 15 years ago are not being financed anymore. It's either these huge tentpole comic book movies or micro-budgets, which really means any movie made for under a million dollars, often far less than that. So if you're trying right. to make a movie on a micro-budget, you actually have to write it that way. So that, that means limit your, your amount of locations, limit your amount of, uh, of characters, um, and make sure you know, you're fairly realistic about what you can accomplish. Um, and, and that's what led to, okay, my writing partner and I, uh, we, we decided to write a movie about one main character in one single location, and that became um, 
that became detour. And what's nice about that, too, I really believe that limitations breed creativity because we, we could easily back ourselves into a corner, one guy, one location. But once we do that, we're, once we back ourselves into a corner, it makes us really think a lot harder about how, does, how does this guy get out and how do we get out of this dramatic uh, obstacle here. Um, and I, I think it made us become uh, more clever as, as writers, and that shows on the screen. Brilliant. And you, you did quite well with that short film? Uh, well, that was a, it was a feature, feature film. Oh, that was a feature. Okay, and oh, yeah. and you distributed that yourself, right? No, we get well. It's a it, it's a great story because we started out, we only had uh, we raised forty thousand uh, dollars, which is peanuts to make a movie. In fact, I had more money to make my AFI thesis film than I did the Detour. Um, once we were able to start production of. You know, we were able to get a lot of favors, and we had these wonderful people come on board that I, I, I never thought would come on board. But, you know, once a movie, very rarely does a movie actually get made at this level in Hollywood. And when it does, people tend to, you know, just come, they want to get on board with something, that, something that's happening. And it took us about five years from script to screen to make the movie. And then once we had a uh, rough cut of it, we didn't, we didn't have, we ran out of money for post-production. Uh, and then we took, then we had the rough cut. We took it around to uh, other investors and producers, and a production company by the name of Level One Entertainment um, saw the film, loved it, and they bought it in the room. It was the best meeting I've ever had. Um, oh, how wonderful! And, and then, yeah, they're like, "How much do you want for the movie?" And they wrote a check. I mean, it's just, it's like you know, you can only imagine those things happening. Um, and uh, but after that, it took another six months to a year to get distribution. But ultimately, we ended up with. Uh, uh, Gravitas Ventures and Warner Brothers uh, distributing it, and it, it went uh, uh, to theaters. I, I saw it on the big screen at Man's Chinese Theater, and it just—it actually just um, finished a successful uh, theatrical run overseas. Um, I know it was in the theaters in Japan for a while, so so it got a legitimate uh, release. It was fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, that is a great story. Well, let's go to Chapter 5, Mud, Mud, mm-hmm. More Mud, Dealing with the Unexpected While Filmmaking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, it was a, uh, uh, probably the dirtiest step that anyone's ever worked on because it dealt with mud, a big mudslide, right? Um, right. You know, you just, you just have to be aware. You pre-plan as much as you can. I storyboard everything. Like every, The movie is made before... I start shooting. It's kind of the Hitchcockian approach to, to making movies. And that's not to say you can't change things up, but I don't think you can change things up if you don't have a firm plan going into it. Um, and anything can happen. Uh, for instance, where there is this tunnel set being built, uh, and due to the constraints of the production, it was, not, it was not built before the movie began shooting. So as I started shooting the stuff, uh, the material that took place in the car, once you started digging out, I, I hadn't had time to inspect the set. So the day of shooting, we get this, the tunnel delivered, and there's a big problem with the tunnel. It, it, was, it looked great, but it had this styrofoam inside, interior. Uh, and if you just touch it, touch the, the, the side of it, it would break off, and what was this kind of dark, mud-looking substance turned bright white. And on film, <laughs> shooting in a dark movie, you, it, it's terrible. Like, you would see that, oh, my God, that, that ruins the, the effect. Um, so my production designer and I just had to think very quickly. We, had, we already had a lot of this mud. 
Uh, we're like, just let's just pack the real mud in there. And, it, and the mud, for some reason, was able to stick onto the fake mud. Uh, but it took about 45 minutes to line the whole fake mud with real mud. It's, you know, it's just but you gotta you gotta be ready to think of anything and and improvise. Oh, this is marvelous. Well, that's what yeah. a producer does, thinks and yep. makes millions of decisions. Exactly. Well, so where can we buy this book? Uh, well, yeah, you can buy Detour Hollywood, um, How to Make a Micro-Budget Film, uh, How to Direct a Micro-Budget Film, on Amazon.com, just like uh, you can get an alternative. It, you know, just type it into Amazon, and you'll find both books should pop up. Right. Okay, good. Well, let me ask you, do you have a set crew you work with, or do you find new crews for each shoot? Um, I tend to work with, if I can, the same people uh, again and again, um, because it's a very, it's a, you know, it's a small town. It's a business where it's a very unique business that it's, it's half, half art and emotion and half, you know, cold business marketing. Right. So you want to have people who, uh, and you don't have a lot of time on set. So you want to work with people who you've already, uh, created a shorthand with, right. That you can trust. Um, I like to work with the same, if I can, the same DP producer and first assistant director. Uh, and I've been lucky to do that um, most all the time. And these are people I worked with, met at AFI, right? Um, so you, we, we form this bond in film school, and any movie I get, I try to, okay, I want my DP, I want my producer, I want my first AD, because uh, it just makes things a whole lot easier, because we already, we've made movies before, and we know, we kind of know what we're thinking like, before we think it, uh, and it just saves heck of a lot of time yes this is what i hear from people uh like yourself who are good directors they have a crew and they they are thinking the same thing together it's you're in the exactly. same mindset right well let me ask you what advice could you give to emerging uh, writers for a hollywood script uh, in today's world uh well firstly um you know, whatever you do, write five pages a day. Uh, you just do it because then you'll have a feature script in three weeks. I mean, the, the I, what I hear again and again is, oh, well, I, I don't have, I'm blocked or I don't have inspiration or it's taking me forever. It's, it, writing is less about inspiration and more about hard work. I mean, plain and simple, um, you know. And if you haven't, if you haven't written a screenplay before, I'd highly recommend reading uh, Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. It's fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic That's my read. favorite book. Yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah me too. And I read that. I, I'm not ashamed to say I reread that every time before I write a script, right? Because it's just it's so practical. And there are great screenplay books like the Deal book and Robert McKee. Uh, but there's something about this book that's very modern and very, um, you know, to the point uh, and, and practical. Um, you know, so it's hard work. You write the script. Um, writing is rewriting. You know, I tell my students, like, if you haven't written, it might sound crazy, but if you haven't rewritten your script 30 times, then 30 to 40 times, then you probably probably won't succeed because the, the movies that get made, they've been rewritten 30 to 40 times, and there's a That's reason right. for that. So you got to yes. put in your time and effort, um, and you got to write what you're passionate about. Um, and another piece of advice I'd give, because I teach a lot of students who. Um, are not from here, that are from, from overseas and other, you know, other countries, right, and other regions that I know very little about it, it, oftentimes. 
and I get a lot of students who want to write something that's very that they think Hollywood will accept. Like, okay, this is you know your typical action hero, you know, and uh, this is a story we've kind of seen before. And I'm like, why do you want to write that? You know, this is, this has been written before, and it's not you. And they, their usual response is, well, I think that's what Hollywood wants. And I go, look, well, you know, maybe the big comic book movies that they're, they're making are similar to that, but how do you get noticed? You've got to get noticed by doing something unique and original. And if you're from a background that is unique, uh, whether it's a region of the world or ethnicity or just the way you were raised, utilize that. Put that on screen because people want to – you need to stand out from, from other filmmakers, right? And you do that – by creating an original voice. Don't try to be like other people. Be yourself. Find your voice and make it clear on screen. Be yourself. Find your voice. Well said. Yes. Well, let's do the same thing now. What advice would you have for filmmakers that are starting out to be a producer? A producer. Well, I mean, you want to try – producers, you want to try to to produce as much material as possible. It's – you know, you you can be less discerning – uh, than than a director, right? A director, I think you have to be. You really have to think about. Okay, um, I'm only as good as my last movie. Because if, as a director, if your movie doesn't do well, it doesn't matter if you know there was a problem actor or the the cinematography isn't very good. The director will always get the blame, right? The flip side, of course, is if the movie succeeds, the director will get the praise. Um, but producers just try to work out. You don't really get judged on the quality of the, the story necessarily, more about the production value, finishing, you know, the movie on, on budget and making it, making it happen. So the more experience you can get just getting out there, getting on sets, whether it's, you know, uh, in other positions like UPMing or first ADing, um, be, just try to get on as many sets as, as you possibly can. And if you live in Hollywood or if you live in L.A., I mean, I'm still making it so ubiquitous now. Just immerse yourself in that environment. Well said. Thank you. That's great. Now, <clears throat> what is the completion date that you've set for No Alternative? Well, we have a shoot. Uh, we have our uh, principal photography date, our, our shoot date, which will be starting on uh, October 3rd. Uh, so it's uh, it's coming up. It'll right now we're scheduled for a 20 day shoot. Um, I have uh, you know my my DP Rob Creech and my uh, producer Carrie LeGrand, both of whom I've made movies with before and went to AFI with. Um, we don't have a, a solid plan on post production just yet, but I assume we'll be starting shortly thereafter in November and looking to finish everything by uh, late winter, early spring 2017. Wonderful. Okay. And, William, are you also a work for hire? I am, yes. Um, I've mostly directed my own material, uh, you know, raised, um, you know, independently. Uh, However, the last movie I made, Don't Look Back, uh, was a director for for hire job. It was a a movie that sold to Lifetime uh, Movie Network, um, and they had liked what I did with uh, with Detour, uh, and uh, they thought that – that that aesthetic would lend itself well to, to the movie they wanted to to make, and they uh, they hired me off off that. So, um, you know, and I kind of put it was a, while it was a director for hire job, I still put my own sort of personal stamp on it. Um, but yeah, I'm absolutely uh, a, a work for hire, depending if on you know if the uh, movie uh, speaks to me. Okay, all right. So tell us how people can find you. All right, cool. Well, 
I have a website. It's uh, WilliamDickersonFilmmaker.com, uh, and I have a lot of a lot of writing on there, a lot of articles and links to to various other places. I'm also on Twitter at uh, my handles at WDFilmmaker, um, and no alternative is at NoAltFilm. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at William Dickerson Filmmaker page. And um, like I said, we're still crowdfunding for for uh, for no alternative. Uh, you can find us on uh, Network for Good uh, through through From the Heart. And I have a, uh, a bitly a bit dot ly slash no alternative film link to it. Oh, great! That's very smart. You really research everything thoroughly, don't you, William? <laughs> I try my best, Carol. My <laughs> you best. do. A- Good job. Oh, I can't thank you enough. Lots of great advice in here. I'm so glad you talked about the amount of time that you took researching before you ran your campaign because that is the proof of of what it's what is needed. You have to really understand crowdfunding is a different animal and you need to know what to do. Absolutely, 100%. Thank you. And Claire, thank you very much for the show today. Oh, yes, it was my pleasure. William, thank you also. Um, always great information that comes from our guests, and no exception with you at all. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Carol. And, and Claire, oh, yeah. Thank you. I'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure, William. Thank you. Absolutely. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.